Hebrews 13, 17 through 21. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. And good morning to you, and uh, I am the aforementioned Dave Mitchell, and good to be with you, good to hear from our elders. Uh, we appreciate them, and the text today is really dealing with our elders, but it's also dealing with you and me, and so it's great. You know, the, the, one of the things I love about our Calvary Christian School is that throughout most of this year, they've been meeting in person. They're actually gathering in the classrooms with the teachers and learning in a wonderful setting that's been safe, and uh, we've not had any uh, really trouble with that. One of the beautiful things is today we get to actually meet inside and to gather together and to be able to see each other. Some people, uh, some people I haven't seen in a year. And so it's just kind of a crazy thing, isn't it? We're all part of the body of Christ, and yet there's been this time of separation. And I'm glad we're inside because I hate what the wind does to my hair. And so it's great. I'd be brushing all the time just to... It's a joke. I know I don't have any hair. Listen, last week we learned about the importance of Jesus Christ, that we want to focus on Him. He is the center focus. Everything depends on Him. He is the foundation of our lives. Our salvation couldn't exist without Christ. Our sanctification couldn't exist without Jesus Christ. And one of the beautiful things that Jesus did as He went up into heaven is that He commissioned His apostles and the other believers around Him that he says, I, I want to spread this gospel around the world, and one of the ways that we're going to accomplish this is the Holy Spirit is going to come in Acts chapter 2, and he's going to fill you, he's going to baptize you, he's going to change you, and he's going to form you into a body. And so Jesus says, I'm not leaving you abandoned, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to unite you together so that we become the body of Jesus Christ. And so even as we talked about the importance of Christ last week, I'd like for us now focus in Hebrews chapter 13, 17 through 19 on the reality of what a body of Jesus Christ should be all about. It's important that the body is healthy so that we function well under the leadership of the head. And so this morning we're going to read through Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. And you may not have it in your hand, but uh, I just want to highlight there is actually an outline that's available for you. There's more on this outline than I'm ever going to cover here on a Sunday morning. But I know for a lot of us, I like outlines. I like to read on my own. And for those of you who want additional information, it is all available for you there as well. So we want to talk about what it takes to have a body that is healthy. Certainly we want physical health, but we want spiritual health in the body that is Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that Christ taught us through this apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews are these truths about leaders. He says this to us, and the elders just read it. I'll read it again for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. He doesn't want it to be a miserable job for them so that that would not be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all that we do. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may re be restored to you soon. Paul, oh, I want to say, I always want to say it's Paul who wrote this book. We don't know. But whoever the author was, he wanted to return to be with them. And so the emphasis for us this morning is to how to get to this point of a healthy, growing church. One of the problems that was going on in the um, Hebrews is the lack of maturity. If you recall, we spent some time in Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and 6. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though this time you ought to be teachers, in Hebrews 6, 1, he says, Let us press on to maturity. One of the things that happens in a church sometimes, uh, whether in America or around the world, is the lack of growth, the lack of achieving maturity in all that they do. So the author, as he challenges them, he says, I want you to grow in maturity in all that you do. It's where members and leaders work together cooperatively. And that's the emphasis here. Part of this passage in 17 through 19 is all about what members should do. Part of it is what leaders should do. And so I'm going to talk about members first, then we're going to talk about what leaders should do, and really the bulk of it is going to be about us members uh, and then those who are leaders. The leaders could be the elders, could also be all the pastors. It doesn't define it as elders only, it could be all the pastors and those in spiritual places of authority and leadership that's going on. And one of the things that he says about members is, is troubling maybe if you just read it on its surface level. It says there that members should obey and submit to your leaders. Now, if I'm not very uh, experienced in the church, uh, I would begin to get a little concerned that uh, am I joining a cult? Is, or, uh, am I being told everything that I've got to do? I've got to run everything through them. It, it, what kind of obedience are these leaders calling me to do and the submission to as well? And part of the understanding of this text is to understand some of the language that this text was originally written in. As you may well know, a lot of the early New Testament passages were written in the Greek language. And the Greek language has certainly kinds of definitions that maybe we don't operate under in today's world. There is the kind of obedience in, he, in, in Ephesians 6, where children should obey their parents. And there's a certain word that the Apostle Paul used there, and uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty strong allegiance that kids should have to their parents. The author did not use that word. The word that the author used is this word patho. And the idea of patho is that I want to listen to, I want to be persuaded to, I want to reach a point of an agreement with. And part of the role of the leader is to be able to be persuasive in a way that, that helps hearts and minds to be in agreement with what those leaders want us to do. And that's an obligation that we have. I think one of the great illustrations as we talked about regathering and coming back together to in the sanctuary, is when we sat down outside uh, a few weeks ago and we sat with various elders and uh, we heard from them and they heard from us and we shared sort of our thoughts about regathering. I thought that's a great example of obedience as it's defined here in this text. It's the idea of coming together to hear from and then be convinced to, to be persuaded by the kinds of thinking that is going on. 
It's where the body and the leaders work together cooperatively so that they can achieve the things that they should achieve. Now, one of the things that it says not to do is to not bring grief, this thing of grief. I, I love this word. I've come to appreciate this word, grief, more than I ever thought I would. This word for grief is stenazzo. Now, let me, let me just share out of my own personal experience my own grief. And it's not the kind of grief that you're probably thinking I'm thinking about. This particular grief began for me, I've been, I've been grieving since last Thanksgiving. And you say, well, Dave, in what way have you been grieving? Well, after Thanksgiving Day, uh, I woke up and I had this intense back pain that went all the way down my leg to my big toe. And I suffered under this intense pain for weeks. And finally, I went to urgent care and says, man, I got all this terrible pain. What's going on? I ended up talking to about four or five different doctors trying to figure out what's going on. And one doctor finally diagnosed it and says, you have sciatica pain. Every time I mention sciatica pain, somebody says, I've had that or I know someone who has that. Right? How many of you have had sciatica pain? Okay, there we go. Well, so you know, you know the kind of pain that I'm talking about. So it, was, so it was so debilitating for that first month between Thanksgiving and December uh, of Christmas, uh, I basically would spend most of my time in bed. Just heating pads, cold pads, just trying to get through it, taking the medicines, the doctors went through MRIs, went through x-rays, and all that kind of wonderful things that you get to do. But the pain was the most intense pain. I've never had pain like sciatica pain. And those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about, it's intense. And so finally they did the MRI and they looked at me and here's what the doctor told me uh, was my problem. He says, you have, a, you have a narrowing around your nerve that is causing that nerve to sh send shooting pain all the way down literally to your big toe. And he said, the problem is what we call stenosis. Stenosis. What is stenosis? Stenosis is a blockage of a very narrow passageway so that this nerve is being squeezed by this blockage that's going on. Sometimes there's stenosis in an artery where you can't get the blood flow to go. But in this case, it was stenosis of the nerve. Now here's why I am sharing you with you, this isn't group therapy for me, but I just wanted to share with you that experience because it relates to this word for grief. Because the word grief stenotso comes from the Greek word stenos, and the word stenos is where we get the word stenosis from. Stenosis is a blockage that crimps the ability for either blood flow or nerves to pass through it. And the author of the book of Hebrews probably didn't know about sciatica pain, but he was describing the kind of intense pain that sometimes we can create for those in leadership. And stenosis, sometimes there is spiritual stenosis. There's a spiritual closing in, narrowing, causing blockage so the Spirit of God cannot flow through and accomplish all the church should be able to accomplish. And so this word for grief is a concerning word because I don't want either anything in my life to be a stenosis to the leadership of Calvary, Christian, Calvary Church or to any other Christian leader elsewhere. 
And so we need to be aware of what, what causes stenosis in a church. What causes that inability and that narrowing, that, that narrow thinking that causes a blockage that disables the healthy growth of a body. One of the things that I learned from the doctors is that, Dave, you need to strengthen your core muscle, which is my stomach. I said, I got a lot of stomach down there, and so there's a lot there to, I need to work with. And I said, the stronger your core muscle is and the more aligned your spine is, the less the stenosis will be a problem. And I thought, isn't that true spiritually? The stronger our core beliefs are and the more aligned our members are with leadership, the greater the ability to be able to function in a healthy way. So I thought, what are, what are ways that stenosis happens in a church? And so I'm just going to share a little bit about my experience, having been doing this for a number of years, of those things that I think causes grief, and just sort of drill down on that one point. There's a lot of other points that could be drilled down on, but I just want to emphasize something as I have an opportunity here this morning to drill down on something that I think is critical for the church, for the body of Christ to be a healthy, growing church. There's a couple of passages that I wanted to draw your attention to that's in the um, screen. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who is a young pastor. He's helping them, helping him and the elders to be quality leaders. And he says to them, be, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. One of the things the Apostle Paul is telling them and telling Timothy is, that, I want you to be careful about those things that are become important to you. And in my view, there are certain things that I might be talking about that might be, be like a spiritual stenosis and cause grief. Another great passage that is in the Timothy section, it says, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. I love that emphasis. One of the challenges that we will face at times as a church, and this all goes to the big church, but also goes to Calvary Church, so that we are a healthy functioning body where there's no stenosis that's causing blockage, is that sometimes what I begin to emphasize in my life sort of loses its traction because it's not being addressed, it's not addressing the administration of God which is by faith. The word administration there means stewardship. It's talking about the, the stewardship of all that Christ has brought to me. To rule over it in a, as a good steward. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The teaching of God's word. The fundamental truths of core beliefs that helps us to be aligned in a healthy growing church. And I'm going to give you four ways, sort of in, in contemporary issues, that I think has the capacity to create spiritual stenosis between members of a church, members of a family, members of a community, and members of a workplace, where we sort of lose the sense of the stewardship of what God has given to us. And some of these are controversial. Some of you will not agree with everything that I'm about to say, and I will brace myself for the response that you give to me. But let me give you four things. Four things that I think has a cre creates an opportunity for stenosis. Number one, pandemic. The pandemic 
Should you wear a mask? She did not wear a mask. Should you get the vaccine? She did not get the vaccine. Who caused this pandemic? Where did it come? Should we blame certain cultural groups? Should we blame certain countries? And we get all these things and we want to get on Facebook and we make our point. Secondly, the whole idea of politics. Who we voted for in the presidential election. I'm for this person or I'm for that person. I like these issues, I don't like those issues. I don't like that congressperson, I do like this congressperson. And I begin to say on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and TikTok and I find all these vehicles to, to make my claim on these very important issues to me. And, and a lot of them are important issues. The Congress just passed this thing called the Equality Act. Those are concerning to us. And we should exercise our rights and our privileges of communicating about those things. Pandemic, politics, protests. Where were you on January 6th? Where were you in the various other states where there were protests going on? Downtown Los Angeles. And where you stand on those protests, and, and sometimes we just want to put in Facebook and Instagram and all these social media, all the ways that I think I should express my viewpoint on that. And, and we have every right to do that. And then the last one is prejudice. Pandemic, politics, protests, prejudice. There's a lot of prejudice in this country yet. And how I view certain groups of people, whether based upon race or gender or age or socioeconomic status, homelessness, etc. We begin to want to put people in boxes and we don't see the person anymore. We simply see the box that we've put them in, whether it's a political box, a pandemic box, a prejudice box, and we no longer see the person, but we see the box that we've created and say, in general, this is the way those people are. And we just classify those people this way based upon the pandemic, politics, prejudice, and the protests as they exercise their freedom to speak about those things. Those are four areas that I've noticed even in my own life. Remember, a member of our family, if I might share personally, uh, sent an email to a number of us in our family. And I hadn't asked for it, but it came, it was, a, it was a kind of a treatise on these four areas that I just talked about. And this person expressed their viewpoint about it very adamantly, very strongly. And so I didn't really respond at first, and I thought, well, you know, there's, there's another point of view on these things. So I emailed this family member back expressing another point of view. And then he emailed me back, expressing additional points of view. And then I emailed him back additional information that I thought he needed to know. And we, we went back and forth a number of times. And the more we went back and forth on a lot of these issues, suddenly it began to hit me. Am I going to divide our family over issues like this? And then he finally responded, and I finally responded to him, I don't think we're getting anywhere. <laughs> and he says, you know, I want to bless your family. Thank you for who you are. And I said, hey, thank you for who you are. Let's just close the door on this discussion because we're not getting anywhere. The challenge is that it's easy for me and maybe for some of you to get so worked up about things like that that it has the opportunity to divide families, communities, neighbors, co-workers, and church members and leaders. And when the Apostle Paul writes this, here's, here's a way that I like to think about it. 
I've used this chart for a, a number of years now, uh, in fact, 30 or so. It helps me. It helps me to be aligned and to stick to core. In the world of biblical truth, there are those foundational things that are true, that are commands of God, and, and I'm never going to waver from that. The doctrinal statement that is part of Calvary Church, those are foundational things. Those things should unite us. There shouldn't be any differences of opinion. It's not an agree to disagree on some of those matters. It's either this is what we agree to or you shouldn't be part of the family called Calvary Church. And then there are issues that are what I call supplemental issues. There are things that are opinions that people love to express that I will consider, I will think through, I will, I will weigh what you have to say on those. And then there are incidental things, incidental things of how I feel about this, that, or the other thing. How do I feel about uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Should Tom Brady have gone from the New England Patriots? I mean, these are incidental. These are, who cares? Well, Tom cares, but the rest of us, who cares? And it's so easy for the church to get lost and move away from what is core, foundational truths. And the pandemic and the politics and the prejudices and the, and the, and the issues like protests and, and their intricate details that we need to understand. We need to, we need to deal with those things. And I think the foundational truth about a lot of those things is that God has called me to love all people regardless of their race, their gender, their age, or their belief systems, or their politics, or what they view about masks and things like that. I am called to love them empathetically, sympathetically, and humbly. And if I do that, I'm strengthening the core muscles and I'm removing the stenosis that can come between us. And so as I think about this passage, it's, it's important that we as members don't cause stenosis by getting off on what is critical. I remember when I first started out in church ministry, my very first church, a woman called me up and she was frantic, she was panicked. She was so upset. She said, my son, you've got to help my son, she said. I said, what's wrong with your son? I thought, is he in drugs? Is he committing, want to commit suicide? What's going on? Well, he won't cut his hair and I can't get him to cut his hair. And I remember we had fights over organ and piano versus drums and guitars. I thought, way back, see, this is a long time ago. This is, for some of you think, man, how old is this guy? But it's that kind of stuff that in that era it felt like what we're dealing with today. They're not nearly as important as the pandemic, the politics, and the prejudicial issues that we're dealing with. They're not nearly as important, but we always pass through these times where the church has allowed itself sometimes to become distracted into supplemental things that are opinions of people and that they're what Paul calls in 1 Timothy fruitless discussions of speculation. And I want us as a church to be healthy and solid by strengthening the core muscles of foundational truths that are biblically driven concepts that drive us regardless of what anybody else thinks or says. And we love people empathetically, sympathetically, and with humility, and it'll cut through a lot of that stuff. That's the core. There's an example that I read just two days ago in the national news. This is not from Christianity Today, not from the Christian Post, not from Our Daily Bread, but from the national news. There was an article about Pastor Corey Brooks three days ago. Pastor Brooks is a pastor in uh, Chicago in a particular area called Woodlawn. Woodlawn is, is the worst 
most violent county in Chicago area. Pastor Brooks says he grew up in Muncie, Indiana, but he came to Woodlawn because he wanted to make a difference. In Woodlawn, there are gangs that drive the neighborhoods. And there are two gang members in particular that were notorious in that neighborhood. They were known as the Bentley Brothers. The reason they were known as the Bentley Brothers, they made millions of dollars selling drugs and they both drove Bentleys. And so these are the Bentley Brothers that, that Pastor Brooks became acquainted with. And he met with one of the Bentley Brothers and he said to that Bentley Brother, he says, there is a new sheriff in town and I am him. And nothing gets by me. And the Bentley brother says, who do you think you're talking to? He says, I'm talking to you. And the Bentley brother says, don't you know who I am? I don't care who you are. And Pastor Brooks brought into that community of Woodlawn what he calls compassionate judgment. And it began to work amongst them. The news uh, man who wrote this article said, well, Pastor Brooks, what makes a difference? Because Pastor Brooks in the article says he's a soft-spoken, very quiet man. How did you make a difference in the Bentley brothers? And Pastor Brooks said, I came here to start a church. The church can do powerful things. And then Pastor Brooks said this, in the national news, he says, first, we start with Jesus. We start with Jesus. And then we bring them to a point of training into legal work. And the Bentley brothers came to Christ, were saved by Christ, not Pastor Brooks, but Pastor Brooks never lost his focus on foundational truth. Pastor Brooks could have easily gotten caught up in the politics, gun control, pandemic, prejudice, victimization. He could have gotten lost in a lot of things that we hear about. But Pastor Brooks says, I never lost the focus of why I'm here. I'm here to bring Jesus to people who need Jesus and to change lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the body of Jesus Christ in a healthy, functioning membership are always about the gospel of Christ. We're not here to straighten out every pandemic problem and every political problem and every prejudicial problem as much as we want to make an influence in people's lives, surely. But when anything else but Jesus and the gospel and the word of God, the Bible, becomes our primary focus, anything else, we've lost the core and stenosis begins to set in. And that's what I love about Pastor Brooks. The Bentley brothers have been saved and they've been trained and the Bentley brothers now are Uber drivers. And if you call up an Uber driver in Woodlawn, Chicago, you will be driven in a Bentley. So you can see them driving around in their Bentley and it says Uber right there on the windshield. Wow. And the Bentley brother said, it's by the grace of God that I'm still alive. He's been in and out of prison, in and out of prison for drugs. And now he says, God has changed my life. That is where you remember the foundational truths. And he, Pastor Brooks, God bless him. I encourage you to Google Corey Brooks because there's a video of all this. And I encourage you to take a look at it. But he never lost the core of why he went to Woodlawn, not to straighten out every societal ill, but to bring Jesus and let Jesus do his job, changing lives. As a result of that, 
we're able to be able to function in a healthy way. There's other things that I encourage you to read on the outline uh, that shows all the positive things that we can do. Some of the other negatives, there's divisive issues, there's damaging attitudes that sometimes get a hold of us, and those damaging attitudes include things like anger and bitterness and divisiveness of, of spirit, of, 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 of in a rage, letting your, your truth be known but not in a loving way. And those are devastating things. Those cause stenosis as well. Remember, I was sitting here uh, many, 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 many years ago. I uh, had the opportunity to sit here on the front row. Uh, this had to be, uh, oh my goodness, about uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago anyways. And a man came up to me. He was upset with me for something that, was, that I was doing. And he stood there two minutes before the worship was to begin. And he just lambasted me with anger and told me all the things that were wrong with me and this church and the elders. I said, well, you know, you know, churches are just about ready to start. You know, I'd be glad to meet with you somewhere else and we can talk this through. He says, no, I just had to get it off my chest. And then he walked out. So he took it off his chest and put it on mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> we need to avoid that. I, I'm not saying that we do that anymore, but there have been days when that was sort of the norm. And we need to be the healthy church. The healthy church that obeys and submits to our leaders and doesn't cause them grief but brings joy. Joy of gracious, gracious words and notes. They're so powerful. I get a number of gracious notes from a lot of you. And I'm so appreciative of that. Because they remove stenosis. And they align us together. And then as a result, the leaders then can carry out their responsibilities appropriately. We love the leaders of this church, and I so appreciate them. There's some of the things that I put on the outline that's here. Let me just highlight very quickly that leaders, their primary responsibilities, it says in the text there, is to keep watch over your souls, to keep watch over your souls. The leaders, the pastors, the elders, our primary job is to watch over. The word watch over there means to go without sleep. I've had a lot of sleepless nights in some of the issues that we've been through. But the idea is to not even sleep, to always have a guard over the souls, the spiritual place of our hearts and our minds. And so the leaders to have watch over the souls who give an account of their lives. And it's a wonderful thing when leadership works well together. Some of the things I put on here, lead by proving to be an example and conduct yourself honorably. Lead by praying for the spiritual needs of the church. Lead by pursuing Christ and being nourished in biblical truth and sound doctrine. Our leaders need to have the in-depth understanding of biblical teaching and biblical truths. Here's the thing that I would say. Don't ever let our ideology overcome our theology. It's really easy for my ideology, the things that I believe in, the things that are important to me, my opinions, to override biblical truth of theology. And the leaders are those men and women who help us to keep those things aligned. And I want to tell you, over the years that I have served here, some of you may not know this, I used to be senior pastor here. We've changed that, and it was a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful that um, this last year I was not senior pastor. Um, <laughs> but I prayed for the senior pastor. I did my job. So. But one of the things when I was a senior pastor, I remember we went through early years here at Carver Church, you may not know this, we had a few problems. And, uh, and it was like PTSD. 
and it was sleepless nights, and what are we going to do, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? There's people have a petition, want to fire me, and all that. So I won't beat the dead horse any deader than it is. But I remember what our elders did. They, they remained united. Every single elder was united. And the elders, two elders, then committed themselves. Every week, two elders met with myself and two others of us on staff. And they would gather together with us early in the morning and pray with us and encourage us and care for us. God bless leaders like that that spend the time personally to engage with and oversee and watch. They watched over our souls, knowing all that we were going through. And the elders finally then sent Joy and me back to a conference back in Dallas. For a week, we went to this wonderful experience in Dallas to renew and refresh us. I love leaders that watch over their pastors and provide that kind of care and love and provision to renew them and strengthen them. Because pastors, pastors are dealing with this every day. And so leaders that do that are a blessing. And they strengthen the core so stenosis does not somehow sneak its way in to us. And so therefore, members, what we need to do is this. The apostle here who writes the book of Hebrews says, therefore, pray for your leaders, for they must give an account. Pray for them. They must give an account. One of the things that sort of haunts me a little bit, if I may share, that over this last year, God has brought the light of holy truth to pastors who are unworthy of the position. There are pastors who are known nationally and internationally for their role in their particular church that are international churches. And God has brought the holy truth into their lives to disclose the unworthiness of who they are. There's an apologist that was most recently, after he passed away, found to have sexual immorality. And a lot of these pastors that were, God, over the years that I've seen, that I've been doing this job, God constantly comes along and says, I'm going to, you're not walking with me. I've given you plenty of time to repent. You've not repented. And I'm going to bring you to the light of truth so that people know that you are immoral and unworthy. And he purges them, purges them. The number this year, it's just staggering to me that there are pastors and leaders that are still thinking they can get away with it. But God has his final accounting. I need to pray for our leaders. Pray for those of us in the pastoral role. Pray for the men in the elder role. Pray because they have to give an account. James 3.1 says, those who teach will be judged more strictly. So the Hebrews text, it says, members and leaders, let's work together for the greater cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical teaching that the word of God gives to us. And let's not let anything else bring blockage or stenosis that, allow, that, that causes us to lose our way, but to continue to strengthen the core of who we are and what we're all about. So I love about Calvary Christian schools. They're constantly strengthening the core that in every classroom, biblical and Christ-centered teaching is going on, along with the disciplines, but they bring Christ and biblical concepts to that. Let's be that church. I want us to pray as we wrap up this time.
I'm going to invite our senior pastor, before I mentioned senior pastor Eric Wakeling, and, and Norm Alexander is the chairman of our board. I'm going to invite them to come up here. I want to pray for them, and they represent a lot of the elders. They represent all the elders and the pastors that are here, that we would remember them in a prayerful way and to recognize that this has been one of the more challenging years for a church, for all churches, in particular our church, to go through, whether it's the spiritual direction, the unity of the body, the accountability of watching over people and the finances and all these things are tough. And so I want to commend our senior pastor, Eric Wakeling and Norm Alexander, the chairman of our elder board, for doing, thank you, an outstanding job of helping us bring us to this point. So yes, so we're so thankful for their faithfulness, their endurance, and uh, it's not always been easy. There's no, there was nothing in seminary about uh, pandemics, right? Yeah. So, uh, but working all that through, that God blessed them with that. So would you with me pray for them? I will pray and I invite your heart and your mind into this prayer as well. God, thank you that we can commit to you our lives. Thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ, as I've often said, is the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And Father, that he is still in charge. I thank you, Lord, that as we've gone through this very hard year that I'm reminded of the words of Christ when he said even the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. So God, we know that you're on our side and with all the challenges that will come our way that we can still trust you. Help us to be that healthy, growing body of members and leaders. And now particularly, I thank you for Eric and Norm and for all the elders and all the pastors of our church. God, thank you for their faithfulness, their endurance. Thank you for the wisdom you have given to them, their mercy and their grace and their love. Thank you for their hearts to endure, to think and reason together, to communicate, to guide us, to keep us safe, to watch over our souls, to bring us to this point now where we're beginning to regather once again to be the body that actually is able to touch one another and know each other in a better way. Lord, I pray your blessing and refreshment upon Eric and Norm and all the leaders and the challenges that they've been through. I know for some folks here on our staff, it's been hard. I pray, God, for your refreshing spirit to renew them, to energize them, to strengthen them, and for Eric and Norm especially for the big roles that they play in providing the leadership for our church. Bless them this day with your Holy Spirit and may we as the body of Christ continue to embrace them, to obey them, to submit to them, to not cause grief, but to bring joy to their hearts and their minds. God, that's us. Help us to continue down that pathway. And we thank you for it all. I pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank amen. you.